Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival and Surfing's Evolution and Preservation Foundation. I'm your host, John Brooks, and with me as always is co-host Kevin Miller. What's up, Kev? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, great episode today. Yeah, Sin Posner is our guest. She was a uh, writer, producer on a film called Undateable John based on a surf instructor who is going through recovery and meets the girl of his dreams in one of yeah. the meetings. It, it plays out as a romantic comedy. It's very funny, and she just nailed it. And as you'll hear, it's... It's not it's about like, me, like I yeah. thought it was when you sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that when I sent it to you, but I, f- I figured at the... Uh, you were driving. Just with no explanation, I get this thing. He's like, watch this movie. The title's Undateable John. And I'm like, well, <laughs> shit. It's, I mean, what's funny is it is autobiographical for Cindy or Cynthia, not yeah. Cindy, but uh, Sin, she, she goes by Sin. And then, you know, we have a uh, nice talk with her about uh, her writing process for that movie and the new book she's working on or not working on, but has published and it's Mexico time, Mexico time. Yeah. And I just picked up my paperback. So looking forward to uh, sharing this visit with you with Sin Posner and all about uh, her meeting and working with uh, John Philbin from North Shore Turtle from yeah, North Shore and a Florida gal to boot <clears throat> grew yeah, up right from grew up right there in Melbourne Beach spent time as a, uh, a USF student some time in Tampa moved on to New York and then LA to Tampa uh, Bay Bucks cheerleader oh yeah that's right yeah crazy what can't so, she do uh, well she had a singing career and a record contract yeah that's and what I'm then saying she's painting and then okay so. Obviously, Renaissance woman in my book, and a lovely chat. And uh, yeah, here's Sid Bosner. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. After hearing John uh, yesterday, I'm pumped. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't think. John and I have had a better guest. It was really hard to not kind of fanboy out a little bit for, with, you know, him being who he was. And, but we, we definitely tried to dial back our enthusiasm a little and, uh, well, we just had a good chat. It was, he's so, he's so natural. The guest makes it happen. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah we've had a fantastic response from it. We just put that episode up yesterday and, um, it's probably been the most, prolific response we've had within the first 12 hours of any episode we've done like people that i don't recognize as listeners or or attendees of our film festival are writing in and they're like oh my god turtle like are you kidding me like (laughs) so yeah yeah yeah, it's been nice so uh we usually do an intro and outro before this so we'll bleed into the conversation naturally uh okay when we find a good starting point and uh speaking of starting points i uh have in my own experience thought that screenwriting was going to be a fun thing to do <laughs> and then i pivoted to an english degree i was like well maybe i'll better go back to school mid-career got an english degree started writing a little bit and then my focus was going to be short fiction and i was going to write maybe a novel one day and then definitely maybe that screenplay one day and um there's probably 5,000 of us, of us, and there's probably, to every 5,000, there's probably 10 to 15 people who actually get that film made or that novel published or the short story somewhere they want it to be. And uh, it's a wild ride. I can't only imagine what, you know, this, this career you've taken on, obviously movie producer to boot. Well, you have to love it. It's a, it's a love hate relationship, isn't it? You know, you have to, (laughs) I hate that I love it and I have to do it, you know, and there's no other option. Mm -hmm. What uh, motivated you being, well, let's back up a little bit because this is the Florida Surf Film Festival Surf Stories podcast and Cynthia is, goes by Sin, right? Yeah. Yeah, Sin Posner. Sin Posner goes, um, hails from Melbourne, Florida. Just Melbourne uh, Beach, Melbourne Florida. Beach, ninety miles away, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The the waves were great there. Um, I grew up surfing in high school, and it's just became it became a love and a have to do because it was my exercise. 
And, um, but I, I mean, I didn't continue it. And I surfed with some great people there. I didn't surf the big waves like they did, but Kelly Slater's from Cocoa Beach, Melbourne Beach. And uh, yeah, I went to high school there. It was great. And uh, moved to New York, then LA, and now Mexico. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. How long have you been in Mexico? Since the pandemic, I moved from LA to the pandemic and during the pandemic. And I had been coming to this little town, San Miguel de Allende, for a long time, back and forth. And I finally made the decision during the pandemic. And I can't go back. Yeah. I'm on the I'm on the good side of the dirt now. I can't yeah. go back. Yeah. <laughs> and what, uh-huh. what drew you to that little town in Mexico in the first place? Um, well actually it was a guy at first. Um, and <laughs> I, I have this story in a book I just wrote called Mexico time and it's on Amazon and it, it tells what actually made me leave Los Angeles was first, it was a breakup and I was, you know, heartbroken. And of course I had to like, you know, go after another guy cause I couldn't be alone. I was too codependent and, you know, <laughs> alcoholic and addict. So I came uh, here for a guy that didn't work out so great. And then my mom and dad moved out here. My mother is Mexican. My father is from Chicago. And uh, so she came here and it was like, it was just an obvious move. Um, I was doing the, it was like the, you know, in LA or the United States, it's like a 24 hour treadmill. It doesn't end. And I was just so exhausted of the rat race of being a screenwriter. I had sold a couple things, had some money in the bank could afford a place here and I love life. And I started to um, build my life here. And then finally during the pandemic, I said, I've had enough. I don't, I didn't want to be in uh, California for the pandemic. So I came, I stayed, I got rid of my beautiful rent control apartment on Venice beach, which was sad, but um, Venice beach was pretty dangerous at the time with all of the homeless that there was always been homeless, but sure. after the pandemic, it was not fun. So I just never went back and, you know, have being, being here and connecting with myself, I think was for the first time connecting with my roots. Cause I'm half Mexican and I have never lived here full time. Mm. So connect, not only connecting with my roots, slowing down the pace, cause it's definitely Mexico time. Like the, time it's like the pace is like a hundred times slower mm-hmm. and um it's a different way of life it's hard to explain but it's just a different way of life where i'm not after more 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 i'm just after what i can enjoy during my day and it's wonderful i still write i'm actually pursuing some stuff in um mexico city that i um you know manager was interested and said hey let's do this here the book, Mexico Time, was actually a screenplay, but I had almost sold it, but the writer's strike happened. And the director was like, well, I can't <laughs> buy it now. So, yeah, I was in Costa Rica at the time, and I said, you know, I'm just going to write the book. I've always wanted to – my bucket list was writing a novel. Like, I've done screenplays. I've sold the pilots. I sold Indatable John. I've, I've had those bucket lists. I mean, never is enough, I'll say. But <laughs> – writing a book was really daunting for me. And also as a first time novelist competing with all the great writers, I love books. I read so much and I was just like, I can't compete with this stuff. But then I just started to write it in my voice and I, um, it came out because it was my real story. So it came out pretty naturally. Um, definitely cathartic. I did a lot of crying and I did a lot of like emotional release writing the book. And then um, I just, I put it out. I didn't care. And so now I have interest again from a couple of people to possibly make it a movie, which would be my second movie out. And, um, uh, you know, I, I can expect things, but then I can release things. Like, I don't, I don't care. Here, yeah. I just don't care. I'm so yeah. okay with life that, like, if it happens, it happens. It would be great. But, um it's not, it's not like I was when I was in Hollywood where I had to make things happen. Do it, do it, go, go, go. And, um, so, um, I mean, that was, I, I managed to get my first film sold. And as you said, you know, uh, 
selling a film, writing is easy, getting it on the page if you love to do it and are good at it. But selling it, on the other hand, is a whole other story. And um, it just all fell into place. Like I was listening to John's podcast and he, he explained it pretty well. I can re-explain it, like how it how it started and with him. I would love to um, hear I, that story, actually. Yeah. And so if, uh, if you, <laughs> I want to go back at sure. some point to the courage, but the, also the fun that it takes to take a screenplay and and then become its director and write the novel, which is part of the fun. You, you get to be the soundtrack and the, the set designer and the, you know what I mean? All of that goes into the novel and you can fictionalize it. It doesn't all have to be you. It's like, what a, what a fun experiment and or catharsis, whatever it ends up being. And uh, if it does come full circle back to the screenplay, uh, I think, you know, you're going to find that you've explored it, you know, way deeper and you can tell the story better. And, you know, it's just probably, I'm excited to read it. I've ordered my copy, by the way, so it's on its way. And, ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, can't thank wait. Thank you. Um, yeah, you can you can get a couple chapters free on Amazon if anybody wants to go on there. It's a uh, you know you guys can do the plug. I don't do I won't do the plug, but um, <laughs> yes. And you know, writing the novel, I don't. It's like because I have the novel out there, people are actually buying it. The reviews are. I don't know half the people that are reviewing, um, and that feels really good. That's great. Like yeah, that's all I care about. Like hey, I have a book out there. Uh, whether you buy it or you don't, whether you you know, produce it into a movie. It does. I don't care because it's a not. It's out there. Like it's just, it's a whole other world that I didn't expect to happen. Where it's like, I, the power of writing a novel, and it being out there for like someone to buy. You know, like I'll be at a store. I'll be like, oh, that person's picking up my book. Nice. They're picking up my book. They're reading the back of it. Are they going to buy it? Yeah. And like, oh, I like sneak in the back of, of the <laughs> store. And, you know, like I don't know that person. And they just bought my book. It's a really great feeling, you know? That's cool. I mean, oh, I love other that. Than, yeah. Yeah. So it's a for more. It's, I, I never thought I'd be so fulfilled and it's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, like maybe that also makes it that I don't. I'd love a movie to be picked up, but I don't care as much. Exactly. Yeah. And I say, I yeah. say, uh, well, I'll just bring up too that I watched this movie the other day called uh, "You Hurt My Feelings," and it's Nicole Holof Center's. Have you seen it? No, I've heard of it. I, now I want to watch it. Is it good? You yeah, liked it? It is good. I, I liked it. Yeah, and but it, it's definitely a point of view of the author in her uh, midlife, you know, battling like. Well, I won't. I won't give it away. I'll let the the, the story speak for itself. But I liked it. I like Nicole Holof Center's movie. If, I, if I'm saying her name right, and. Um, movies she does great stuff yeah she's she's got good taste yeah and so uh but there is a scene in there that mimics the one you just talked about watching walking into the bookstore and having the writer and there, there's a few scenes in movies of writers doing this but uh, uh -huh. i love it and uh so all right you've you've explored the novel you've got the possibility of making the movie and you know just a little bit more background for anybody hopping on this podcast who hasn't listened to john's uh interview yet we will say that john Philbin played a role called Turtle in a movie called North Shore. And for us surfers, it's kind of an iconic uh, guide to the hero of the story, sort of like taking the neophyte into the the deeper waters and releasing him. I think Chandler was also that kind of that role in that movie. But then John's acting career was a little spotty, mostly because he's in G-Land surfing the whole time and not doing, you know, auditions and he did got a, he got a few more roles for sure, but it it wasn't he didn't take it as seriously as he should have if he wanted to be a professional act, you know an actor full time. He's a surfer, surfer first, actor second, surfer first, actor second. So he lands himself in uh, back in Southern California, not really knowing what he wants to do. Admittedly, on his interview, and one of the things he described was meeting you, and I think he was in recovery at the time. Um, I don't know if you want to pick it up from there. That'd be great. Cause I'd love to hear the story about undateable John, which is the movie you sold and had produced. Sure. So yeah, I, uh, I'm in Southern California in LA and I crawled into recovery. I had been in and out several times and I got a DUI. I get sent there and, um, 
And, you know, the common term is called 13th step, which that was going to be the original title, but it changed. And um, I was 13th steps. So the 13th step is um, when a guy or a girl comes after a newcomer and pretends that they're helping them 13th stepping it's 12 stepping them. And then the 13th step is getting with a guy or girl. And so I'm, I'm, I was in and like I said, I was in and out of the rooms. I knew what, I knew what AA was about. I knew what alcoholism was about. I wasn't ready to do it. I was very fresh, very new going through my traumas, total addict pothead. I mean, pot was my drug of choice. I would smoke weed all day, all night, wake up, wake and bake. I mean, this was since high school, you know, I mean, I come from, (laughs) you know, potland of the world. (laughs) And I'd been smoking in addicts for a long time. And so I get into the rooms and I do meet an indatable John. The story is real. And I started to write the story because when I have a story, I have to get it on the page. Like I just started to write this thing. And at the time I was working for Joan Jett, the rock and roller. And that was my, my gig, one of my gigs at the time. Um, I was managing, I was working at William Morris. I was managing for, then I left there and then worked for another company. And I had met Joan when I was in New York and always um, either worked for her, helped her, somehow was very connected with uh, Blackheart Records, Blackheart Films, which we turned into. And I was helping her get, she wanted to do more acting stuff. And she hadn't done anything huge since the 80s with um, Michael J. Fox movie. Uh, it's slipping my mind at the moment. What the movie's called? It'll, it'll come to me. Right. And, Bright Lights, um, Big City, was it? Oh, there was a few of them. No, okay. it, there's another one. Um, I should look it up right now, but I, it'll come to me. Like, <laughs> you know, in the mid-sentence, it'll, like, pop in my brain. And so I said, well, Joan needs a movie to be able to have her agents at the time pitch her for bigger stuff because I was helping with that, trying to get producers to get her into the rooms and not audition. She's not an audition. She is a, you know, she's a star. And they were like, well, she hasn't done anything since the 80s. Do you have anything anything new? And so it started with, um, the story was messed up girl, you know, DUI girl, gets in the rooms, meets this undateable John where there was a guy named John. He did 13 step me. He knows who he is. <laughs> Everybody knows who he is. It was, it was fun. It was whatever. I It didn't work out. But that was the actual nitty gritty of the story as you see in undateable John is messed up girl meets messed up guy in AA and it's a comedy. Tom Arnold plays the meeting secretary. Daryl Hannah plays my sponsor. Estella Warren plays me. And as I was writing it, um, I met John's sponsor. I'll say his name is Matt. I don't need to like out of it. Matt said, um, uh, Matt was started off as like, not my sponsor, but one of my Eskimos, my real, an Eskimo is like somebody who really helps you through the program. And I was telling him about the story and like like where I'm writing this and I don't really know, you know, I'm developing who the character is of who this John is because I wasn't going to put the story, I wasn't going to make the character off the real Undateable John, who is not as fascinating as our John Philbin. <laughs> and his name was actually John. So I had the name Undateable John or 13th Step, either one. And Matt said, well, you know, John Philbin, he's in, uh, you know, he's in the rooms. He said, he's, you've seen him. And I'm like, huh, John Philbin. So I look him up. I'm like, oh, John Philbin, North Shore, Tombstone, Point Break. I'm like, that guy, that's him. Like, and, and he's like, yeah, he hasn't done anything since like the nineties. So he needs something. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I, I spoke with John and he was like the perfect guy. And he knew the other John. He's like, oh my God, I can play that, that <laughs> role. And I did it because he, I also, I was, I had a small management company at the time, pretty much under Blackheart management, Blackheart films. And I took him on and and was like, well, you need a film. And I was like, maybe we'll do this as a short. Started as a short, right? Yeah. And then I, and then I just wrote the script. And like, seriously, it was like a weekend. Wow. I did not sleep. I had the story. I finally had the character I wanted to do, to use. 
And he was like, use my story, make him a surfer. Like he's not an ordinary, regular guy. Make him use what part of my life that'll make it a more, a bigger, you know, a better character. And like me having not surfed since really high school um, and loving surfing. I mean, surfing was in my blood. I still surf very small waves in Mexico. Like, you know, like I surf the hot water and, you know, right on my eye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I, so I got with John, we actually, he, he read what I had and we got together and he gave me more ideas of like the scenes with Estella on showing her how to surf and which was great in the film. One of my favorite, you know, favorite scenes. And so the script came together with him. And then I was on, on, on the road with Joan at the time. And I was telling her and her, her right hand arm, Kenny Laguna, her producer, her executive producer, he loved the idea for her. And he was like, well, why don't, and Joan, uh, I created a role for her to play one of the addicts at the meetings who's just there for the donuts, right. you know, a street, a street, you know, one of those, those street people in Venice beach, she was perfect. She nailed the role. And then, um, so once I had Kenny and Joan saying, let's do this for cheap, let's try to get people that aren't, um, that expensive. We can shoot in one, a couple locations. It just kind of came together. And, um, but they weren't going to trust me with their money as director. Cause I'd only directed shorts. I'd only directed like, small things. And so we got Damien Lichtenstein who had produced, um, directed, um, what is it? 30 miles from Graceland. What was, um, my memory is fading. I have the pothead as, as <laughs> yeah, I mentioned. No, we're, um, we're familiar with, with the yeah, yeah. Graceland movie. And so he loved it. And then we're like, well, who's going to play like me? And, and Matt again was like, well, what about Estella? Warren and I was like well yeah and John and we brought it up to John and it was so funny John said Estella's not going to want to play my girlfriend and I'm like like, John it is a movie Um, she would be (laughs) she would be paid she would be acting (laughs) she would be acting but his first he was so real he's like Estella's not going to want to play my girlfriend there's no way and I'm like, oh, my God, that, that was the funniest. I, I will never forget the way he said it. It was so funny. It was real. He was honestly being real. And then when she actually said yes, we went through her manager. We went through the whole thing. And she actually said yes. John was just like, oh, my God, Estella's going to play my girlfriend. Estella is my girlfriend. Estella is my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cute. And he started to really become the character. And I think we... um it, it it just came really together. Then Margaret Cho uh, was excited because she wanted to play something next to Joan. Daryl came on board. Um, Tom Arnold was the final um, person who said, "Yeah, I want to do a comedy." He was he's in program. He's very out with it. So yeah. um, he had never played anything about alcohol or addiction, and he likes comedy. He is comedy, so he took it on. And then it came together and we did the movie and it was, it it was great. We had a great time. It took a a long time with editing and then uh, finally got a distributor. We had a PR person. And as John mentioned in his, in his uh, podcast, it kind of fell through the cracks because our PR person moved from LA to cross country. She, she, she kind of just, it just fell through the, through the cracks and at that point Blackheart had spent a little excuse me spent a little too much in editing because it took a, a long time from one editor to another editor and they were scared to do the another you know a, another mass marketing they just wanted to see maybe how it did on on Amazon when it first came out and I, it didn't, you have like a year to send it to the festivals. It wasn't sent to the festivals. It's just, it was, it was sad, I think for all of us because it didn't have the push that it could have had as, I mean, it might've done a bigger splash, 
I, of course, I would have done a bigger splash with any kind of PR. Absolutely. So I'm very grateful that you guys watched it, liked it because of John. And um, it can have, a you know, a, maybe another another ride out. So that yeah. would be really fun and fantastic. Well, um, mo- I was very excited to hear from you. You got it. And the, well, the movie's got a, a like a heartbeat to me and it it is alive on the screen i watched it unfortunately not on a big screen and in the living room and having the idea of showing it on the big screen literally came to me a couple minutes a few minutes before interviewing john and uh it's worked out perfectly so far uh we are going to show the movie if you're listening to this podcast on february 2nd at the florida surf film festival in new smyrna beach florida um there's going to be two nights of of movies that'll be on the first night we're going to show north shore first i think and then we'll cap it off with undateable john and unfortunately you can't make it because you've got a prior commitment but um yeah we, that date is was really difficult for me to move around here i i have um, some commitments in town yeah i do other gigs fair enough um, we appreciate that yeah. but i think the this the spirit of the idea that the movie would have done well in festivals and it had it gotten more attention like we're trying to give it now is is a fair one the uh cast was wonderful the performances were top notch i mean i don't really i like i said to john i've been to a lot of good film festivals and i've seen quality films you probably have been to more than you can count and you know what's a good movie if it's hard to judge your own work i'll give you that but it's it is absolutely worthy and i can't wait to share it with folks Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I can't wait to see the the feedback and reactions. Oh yeah, it'll be, be good having John there, eh? Oh yeah, yeah. What? Uh, how many did you see it in front of people? Have you have you had a chance to watch the movie in a screening at all? No, we didn't even do a screening. It was a small screening among friends, and um, it's different when you have friends that know John or know people in the movie or know me. Um, yeah, I was always like is it good or not good because like these are my friends or these are people i know and like are they liking it but i I felt like it was a genuine like and um yeah i would sit back and watch expressions but we never had a full-on screening so i would be curious to see you know pan the cameras in the room to see the real expressions and the the funny scenes to to get the laughs is make would make me super happy fulfilled at at a at a project that we put out there that is based on real life on addiction and making it funny i mean tragedy is comedy so um yeah yeah, i want to hear the laughs uh i wish you could be here great if you can if you can make it happen we'll move it to the, the night of the third but we you know, you've made commitments. Anyway, long story short is you've produced an unbelievable movie, great screenplay, and now you've got the uh, what would be your your second 
heartfelt project, which is going to be Mexico time. Not, I say heartfelt. I'm just looking for words. It is. It is heartfelt. I'm yeah. sure it is. It's a journey in the time of COVID down to uh, what John and I would imagine because we were both surfers. We're both wanting, you know, we I, rat race isn't exactly how I would describe my life or his life, but I do feel it. I've got two young children. It's constantly uh, something, whether it be either the calendar fills up a couple of months in advance. And I do spend time down in Central America and sometimes Mexico. And it is so much slower paced. I've camped out in Mexico for a few weeks at a time. And uh, that is ideal. I'm tr- it's hard to find the right balance. And uh, this town, you tell us about San Miguel. I know it's kind of an artist community in a way too it's been been that way for a few years yeah it is a it's rated number one as countries for expats it's on a tie with chiang mai in thailand and i was recently there and i i noticed you know a lot of expats but not like here this is an older expat community it's either young super hip artisty um vibe of the people that I met that are such the real characters in in my book. And then the older retirees, expats that have that are just since the pandemic or since, you know, I don't want to get political, but since the, the last you know, right. since the last few years, they just they're out of there. So and this has been an expat community for decades. And it's growing and growing and growing. Number one, because it's cheaper, obviously, than the States. Um, It is a really big artist town. There are real artists that are phenomenal. But then there's the the people that come at 65 years old escaping their old lives that might have been humdrum, or they're escaping a bad divorce, or they're, they're escaping whatever, or just, you know, giving up the rat race, as you, we say, um, the 24 hour treadmill to come and they come here. And like, I have an Airbnb here. I had, when I first moved here, I bought a ranch house. I didn't like living out in the country. And so I, I moved to, I sold that house and then bought this little, it's not little, I bought a house in town and converted the rooms into Airbnbs, like full on apartments and kitchenettes. And so I get a lot of travelers, traveling women solos that come here with huge suitcases they land here and they're like i can't go back and they Mm -hmm. just stay here they buy they sell their places there they buy here or they one of them is still renting for me or they find rentals long-term rentals and they just stay it's like a haven um for and and then at 65, they're like, oh, I want to take an art class. I want to take a writing class. Yeah. There's so many classes with exceptional teachers. And they just, you know, they're not trying to sell their work. Some are. But they're not, you know, they're they're doing it because they could never do it in their lives that they had. So they they find things like they'll take ceramics class. They'll take arts class, weaving, jewelry making. There's all sorts of stuff. There's two main institutes here in San Miguel. And it's up in the mountains. It's San Miguel de Allende north of mexico city um it's up in the mountains there is no quake zone here Mm. um and there is no hurricane zone and at first i wanted to live on the beach i did stay in oaxaca beach um mazunte for a long time Mm -hmm. and puerto escondido great surfing Mm -hmm. but too big for me um i love the beaches of mexico but um San Miguel has a real, it's a more, it's slightly cosmopolitan, but because it's more colonial style architecture, there's cobblestone streets. It's like a little Venice. It's like a little Barcelona is what it is. Even mm. the church here is a replica of the, the Gaudi, Barcelona, the Barcelona church in Gaudi. Wow. And so it's just beautiful and it's beautiful to paint. So that's why I think it attracted all the artists in the first place. And then they just move here. And it's a it's called a Pueblo Magico, a magic town. And there's certain places in Mexico that have Pueblo Magico. One of them is Mazunte because of all the turtles and the Turtle Museum. And it's just this vibe that you cannot explain. It is a magical vibe where you, like you just feel like like connected in some way. Mm. Like I mean, you, you feel I felt that in Bali. 
You know, I felt that in Thailand. It's a connection to a higher form of something that you're just connected from, like a tree for me. It's a visual of like my roots in the earth and my and my roots going up to the sky. It's that feeling of connectedness and that people come here and don't want to leave. And um, it attracts not just the tourists that want to shop in the foodies. It's more of a spiritual vibe, like the hippy dippy vibe, of course. Um, but it's a more like it's a real hippy dippy vibe, not yeah. just um, not a manufactured just, one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. How, how big of a city is it? Um, you mean population wise? Yeah. Uh, don't make me think about that right now. I think it's 60,000, 60,000, perhaps around 60,000. Okay. You're it's still a to, Pueblo. It's a village. Yeah. You're yeah. getting to the point of having your own airport at some point. <laughs> um, they are talking about it because there's definitely land space and yeah. um, there's two airports close, two hours yeah. close. So um, they're talking about it, but they keep knocking it down because they don't want it. Sure. Yeah. It'll, ch- it'll change yeah. the landscape for sure yeah, yeah. in lots of ways. Yeah. And it'll it- be private, more private planes, more money, which is fine for the town, but it's, it's, it won't be the same. Yeah. yeah. When it's funny too, how you mentioned it. And as Kevin said, you know, we come from the rat race of the States and, um, and even other places, but you, and we've been fortunate enough to travel mostly for surfing. Um, but we've gotten to travel some of these great places in Indonesia and Central America. And, um, and it's, it's not surprising to me that you have these people that show up down there. And then when they hit pause for a second and they get off the treadmill, uh, how the, the creative side comes out. And so it's not surprising that people want to take a class and learn how to write and learn how to paint and do things like that. Because I've, I've noticed that in myself, like whenever I travel, I do. I feel like I turn into a little bit of a different person when I get somewhere that you you put the phone down and you turn all that off for a second. Closer to who you really are, you want to yeah. say, you know. And, yeah, and send, like you, you can breathe. First, you can breathe. It's like, yeah. whoa, I, my body is slowing down. I can breathe. And then all those things start to make it and fill you up. The yeah, good things. and then who yeah. you are starts to come out. I yep. feel like that's that gets stifled so much in in the world that we live in up here, just with the pace. Yeah, and the always needing more, wanting more. I mean, if you've got kids, they got to go to college, and yeah. you know your kids want more, always want more, always need more. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me too that the environment that you describe in San Miguel is more in line with where you know it's all good energy for you. And it's, you know, providing a creative space, but the beaches don't necessarily always normally cater, you know, there's way more maybe party focused and I don't know, it just makes it easier to stay sober in my, in my novice's head when it comes to dealing with recovery. And it would be a lot easier to maybe make a mistake over by the beach or something. I don't know. Absolutely. Yes, you do know. Absolutely. Um, San Miguel is known for a very strong sober community that have long-term sobriety and solution-based sobriety versus uh, newcomers come. A lot of newcomers come. I was one of the newcomers that came here and and I relapsed and came here and got sober again. But um, yeah, when I go to the beach, which is scary for me, there's pot everywhere, like all over Oaxaca. I mean, all over the beaches and in Zipolite, um, Mazunte, it's legal. It's everywhere. I don't know how legal. I don't, it's, kind of so-so legal it's not like it's LA or, <laughs> whether it's you know, legal or right. not it's there yeah. <laughs> it's there it's everywhere and you're yeah. they're smoking in the restaurants like everywhere it's just the constant smell of marijuana which i'm used to in venice but it's it's a it's a slippery slope totally yeah. the beach vibe is a different vibe so um, yeah, I have thought about that. I am grateful to be in this zone. There's still a lot of drugs here. There's still a lot of pot here. There's not a lot of cartel like in the beach town, so it's safer here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it always scares me. Um, since I, I had four years sober this Christmas, and 
I only take vacations now where I know there's strong sobriety, like in Bali, there's great sober rooms and great sober people. Thailand, there's a lot of sober. Um, but I avoid going places where there's not, um, I'll, I'll still go to the beach cause I need the water, Sure. but I don't stay a long time, nor you're right, nor could I live there. I don't think I could do it. Yeah. I hear you. I was just thinking about that. Um, but all right, well, you're working hard at four years. Congratulations. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Well, it's been like 20 years, you know, th every three years, I, every three, a few years, I would either travel and like Paris or Spain, the wine is too good for me to, you know, I couldn't say no. And I wasn't, right. I, I always considered myself a pothead, not a real drunky wino alcoholic, but um, it all comes back to the same thing. I am, you know, once you are an addict, you're all of it. So, um, yeah. Surfing's not so bad to be addicted to. Well, it's a good addiction, isn't it? Yeah, it's a healthy one. Yeah, yeah. Gotta keep it going. Yeah, got to do the healthy ones and so, writing. So, in your mm -hmm. mind, are you are yeah. you committed to to staying there in San Miguel indefinitely, or like let's say if if your book get does get picked up and optioned into a film, you know, is there any interest in going back to Hollywood to work or? Well, the movie takes place half in L.A., you know, with the, the beginning of it and the end of it in L.A. and then the rest of it here, which would be lovely to film here. There's only had a couple movies that are based in this town, which is a oh, my God, the town itself is just so beautiful. Um, uh, Salma Hayek did a movie a while ago, but it didn't really show the town like nothing's really shown the town. I would stay here to do the movie, of course. I am here, I, ha I own a place here, the Airbnb, I'm doing well here, but the word indefinitely scares me because yeah. uh, I'm drawn to Bali and Thailand for some reason, like in maybe 10 years when I've had, you know, the it when I have the itch to move or I could just travel and come back, but indefinitely, like forever, uh, <laughs> um, that's scary. Would I go back to LA if I got more writing gigs or started to do more? If I have to, I would. Do I want to? No. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't. There's your answer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It, yeah. yeah, indefinitely scares me too. What part of Bali do you like? Well, Ubud because of the strong meetings there. And again, on the beaches is more the druggy culture. Yeah. Um, well, there, there's no drugs allowed, but it's there. But it's the drinking culture. Yeah. There. What else do you do but go to a bar or hang on the beach and drink? I mean, it's... So I love to boot also because the massages there are what, $7 yeah, and right. they're, they're so good. Oh my God. I got one every night. <laughs> and also the, the AA rooms are there. Are there. I love the hiking. I love the temples. I felt I, I, you know, that again, that, that beautiful magical connection Yeah. that I got off the plane for the first time going to Bali. And I went there like every other woman that had read eat, pray, love. Right. Yeah. Like, it just started since 10 years ago, the surge of women uh, that can travel on their own and go there. And so I feel like my Mexico time is like the, my Mexican version of my eat, pray, love, you know, escaping a relationship, bad relationship, and then ending up finding myself. Um, but I went there because of eat, pray, love. And I stayed there because for a while, um, because I felt that connection and it, and I loved Ubud. I would I wouldn't surf there again. The waves are too big for me, and I didn't go on a surfing trip. I don't. I'm not like a. I'm not like John, where you know, yeah. God. I mean, he's one of the best surfers. Yeah, yes. Yeah, he's good. Um, and then Thailand. It was my first, my first time visiting, and that's a place I would go. I would retire to. You know. 20 years say yeah. <laughs> a long time to think about it yeah the dollar goes a long way yeah yeah that's good two dollars for that massive amount of veggies and food and the best food is in thailand oh, oh my god you're getting me hungry <laughs> yeah. i have Street a friend food. uh who tragically sadly uh lost her husband to a heart attack and her daughter was maybe six months old at the time i went to college with her and she moved to bali and his well, first she traveled around with her daughter um, uh -huh. after she had reached like three or four years old, you know. And, yeah. But um, 
for about five or six years, they would just kind of move around the world. They were in Malta for a while. They were, and you know, I don't know. It's just, they, but she landed in, in Bali and has been there for four years now, five years now, I want to say, and absolutely loves it. Her daughter loves it. And it's like a, a good find for her. Yeah. Yeah. Think, especially if she can live there full time, if she found a way, got the papers earlier. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's harder right. now. Pre COVID. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, I got uh, five kids, three of them are older and out of the house, Ooh. which is, you know, fine, but I still would miss them. Um, being, uh, out of the country would make it more difficult to visit. And my two younger ones are, uh, still, they've got a bunch of great friends here. It's, it's hard for me to imagine anything but a long vacation anywhere right now. And, but it is so attractive what you've done and left the, uh, the craziness and part of, part of that, that is the reason why I bought your book. I mean, it's also you're on the podcast, which is great, but <laughs> I love that idea of that departure and resettling, refocusing, and, you know, can't wait to read it. I just love that you decided to come on the podcast and tell us a little bit about this fantastic find. I, fi- I consider it one of my, one of my coolest things I've found in the last couple months and, you know, from a media or reading standpoint, I just, I love Undateable John and it's, it's a great piece of work. Thank you for that. I mean, it's just to hear it after so many years that it just, you know, like I said, fell through the cracks feels really good. So those who are there to watch it, um, you know, reach out. I'm on Insta. You know, I'd I'd love to hear. Okay. I know we talked about maybe doing something after a Q and a after with like we're doing now, like a little FaceTime and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. We we've done that once before and it is doable. So it's, it's definitely something we're going to think about. Um, Tom Arnold was absolutely hilarious. (laughs) I I can't not give him a shout. Estella Warren's acting was absolutely top notch. Uh, just phenomenal. You guys really nailed it. And thanks again, Johnny, you got any other questions for Sam? Yeah. I, I mean, the, the title of our podcast is Surf Stories, and you grew up surfing. And so I'm going to put you on the spot, and, and uh, I want to ask for just one or two of, like, your fondest memories or of your fondest surf stories. Like, what do you, what is it, what was it about it, or how did you get started, or a funny or a scary one? But, uh, yeah, g- give us a little background on what drew you to the ocean and kept you in. Well, I went to, I was raised, and... Um, went to high school in Melbourne Beach, which is close to Cocoa Beach. And after school, we would just go to the beach. And I would watch Kelly Slater. I mean, he was dating my girlfriend at the time. He went to Satellite High. I went to Melbourne High. Mm-hmm. And one of my he was dating one of my girlfriends. So and he he was winning the competitions then, but he wasn't Kelly Slater. Like we sure. we knew he was something very special. But there was a lot of great surfers in Melbourne that had, you know, bred in Melbourne. I can, you know, rattle off some names. And my boyfriend was Israel. He was, he was friends with Kelly and friends with, you know, a lot of those surfers. He surfed, but he never did the, he never went pro. And sometimes I would go down with my girlfriends to a smaller wave and we'd just, pick it up. I mean, it was easy. You watch them. It's like, uh, you watch them. And so you think you can do it. Right. But (laughs) when you're doing it at 14, 15 years old, um, fearless, I was fearless. I didn't care if I got knocked in the head and I did. Um, but the beach, the, the beaches in Melbourne, I was spoiled, you know, it was, you could find any kind of break. And so it was an after school special for me. You know, we would leave high school, go straight to the beach, smoke a doobie, get in the water, go home, do it again the next day forever until I went to college in USF and, you know, went across the coast. And then it just, I didn't, didn't do it anymore. I was, yeah. cheer- I, I, I was going to college and I was cheering for the NFL bucks to <laughs> <laughs> put, put me through college. So I totally became like a, from a surfer to a, to a jockey, you know, to the cheerleader jock, you know, and <laughs> my, my personality changed and the drugs started because that's when the hardcore drugs started. I mean, Tampa, Ybor city college, it just, it fell into another, 
I fell into another time zone, <laughs> another hole. And then, um, then I went to New York and it, it just, it was always in me. Like I, I would travel or I'd go to like, um, there's Sayulita and Puerto Escondido. Mm -hmm. I would go there for vacations. And so that's where I like to surf because the water was warm. And, but I never, and it, it, it just, it, it, the love for it, it never went away, but I just, when you don't have the beach there every day to do it, sure. um, you just don't, but it was, it, it was bred in me since before high school, you know, oh, yeah. you live on the beach. That's what else do you do? Especially in a town where it's known for the waves. Um, I miss Florida. I would love to be able to go. I think I speak for there. many people that live in Florida that I picked the college that I wanted to go to based on waves and you know, how close it was to the beach and making that decision to go to USF must've been a little painful for you. I would imagine from the surfing standpoint, what did you study there? Is it creative nonfiction, fine arts? Um, actually drama and dance. I was a dance major, a drama major. And then I, with that, I studied the right script writing and with the theater, you have, you've got to do it. So oh, I yeah. took a lot of script writing courses. That's where it began. I started writing since then. And actually, um, my, I started as a singer. Um, nice. When I was cheering for the Bucks, this producer came up to me and was like, hey, if you can sing the way that you dance, you know, we could do something. And I was like, well, I'll try. <laughs> and we did this little song. And then um, what's strange is that I was in Mexico in Mexico City, I met a DJ. I met a DJ, played him the song, <laughs> and he's like, hey, can we do this in Spanish? I like this, it hit, and it hit the dance floor. And so I went to his studio the next day. I met a lot of, um, uh, he produced a lot of people. One of them was uh, Calo, which is big in Mexico, the rappers. And um, he, we just put a record together, and that was like my first time actually in Mexico for longer than a weekend. And um, I got a record deal like right away. And he called me. He's like, hey, I've got like a Coca-Cola tour for you. And I have two labels interested in you. And I'm like, dude, I'm in finals. Like I'm <laughs> I'm back in. I got I have finals. What are you talking about? And I was like, just go. Just go. My dad freaked out. He's like, what do you, you have a semester left of college and you're out of here? I'm like, yeah, I'm out of here later. My dad was a lawyer. I'm like, like I'm out of here. Didn't even, you know, look at my contracts. I didn't care. I was just out of there. I did finish later online to college, but um, yeah, at all. So that's where my writing started because I had to write songs. And then I had the stories. And so, and I, I used my script writing classes. And then when I was in LA, I took like a another course for script writing. And I just had, when you have a story and you do come from a creative kind of personality and the love to write. Um, I'm looking at a painting. I also paint a little bit. I don't, cause I'm here in San Miguel, obviously, but I've been painting a long time. I have a painting with a quote that I'll end with this quote. It's a Bukowski quote. And I like to put cool quotes into my painting. Cause it's like eerie, eerie kind of drippy stuff. And then I put a quote in it. And one of them is that I live by cause it stares at me every day. It's huge. It says, um, it's a Bukowski quote, famous one. He says, it says, he asked, what makes a man a writer? Well, I said, it's simple. You either get it down on paper or jump off a bridge. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's precisely why I'm not a writer. <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't feel that strong urge. I couldn't, couldn't manage the discipline. Anyway, but that is a great quote. If you take a picture of that painting for me yeah. and send it along with your profile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, sure. I'll post that. That's cool. I love that. Well, I like how uh, surfing is always a good entry into maybe some of the most interesting parts of who people are and where they come from and all that. So, but thanks for sharing your time and part of yourself for the uh, podcast. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So you guys are, I love your podcast style. Oh, oh, thank you. you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Real. We'll, we'll easy take and fun. Yeah, anytime we can get a compliment, we'll take it. It's, we're, it's, we're easily <laughs> massaged. Literally takes minutes of preparation. Yeah. <laughs>
we, we or, no, or no preparation. I think that's why we enjoy it because we don't prepare. Like we just sit down and yeah, have a chat with people, and it's have, fantastic. Heavily scripted podcasts are not. Uh, well, I don't think we have the time for it. First of all, but secondly, the conversational aspect of this thing has been enjoyable, um, and it actually feels organic. God forbid. Yeah, it's a conversation. Yeah. All right, we're going to come visit you at some point because the town sounds amazing. And uh, if you make it back to Florida for any reason, you got to look us up. Oh, I will. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, Sin. We'll talk to you later. Later. Bye, Sin. What a great episode. Yeah, that was fun. I, I all uh, you know all my life I tried to write a screenplay. I did write a screenplay. It was horrible. But I mean, Tom Macaluso and I wrote it. it threat was level funny. midnight. Yeah, 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 threat level midnight. <laughs> Not far off. <laughs> it was called Green Water, and it had nothing to do with surfing. But, oh, okay. But it was, yeah. Um, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna need to sit around and do a reading of this, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, baby, I have it. I think I have it. And uh, it, it's it's laced with profanity. Cause I you know, probably thought it was like, I don't know. Anyway. Um, and it was about four guys who were just bored at their jobs and you know, whatever. He wanted to do some out of the ordinary workaholic sh- style. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Workaholics <laughs> like just trying to, anyway, we passed it around a couple friends in the movie business and you know, they're all like, we've seen this before the mob mobs taking on, you know, four ordinary guys. Yeah. yeah great. Yeah. All right. Thanks. And, uh, but it's, it, you know, when you put yourself out there, Number one, it's fun yeah. to write a screenplay. I, I highly encourage anybody just to do it if they have even no desire whatsoever to, to get it actually made into a movie, which you will when you start to write it. But it's just a fun exercise in creativity and coming up with dialogue and scenes. And it, we had a good time with it. Nice. And uh, yeah, I tried to write short fiction. But here's somebody that we talked to that actually has done it. And uh and, and kind of apparently produced. lots of other things too. Yeah. A lot of other artistic endeavors. She's, uh, found her space down in Mexico now. Yeah. So I just, it was a real nice thing that we got to like parlay John Philbin into a writing, um, and producing filmmaker of, uh, with a little bit of a surf background. Yeah. Coming from Florida, loves it, uh, doesn't do it enough. Yeah, I mean, what what else could you ask for in a podcast episode? Yeah, it's fantastic, and I'm excited that we get to show her movie, um, not to the world, but to our world. Fuck yeah, man! <laughs> I mean, we got uh, John coming to uh, share. I wish he could be there. Yeah, uh, but you know, whatever we end up with, it's going to be a great night because that movie is funny. It is. <laughs> and uh, come on out, February second, we'll have uh, John Philbin there from North Shore and uh, Point Break, and uh, Tombstone, all the movies he's been in, but also Undateable John, so it'll be a real nice night. We'll have a nice Q&A afterwards. We may try to get sent on a little uh, video chat. We'll see how that yeah, goes. Yeah, we'll out. see how that goes timing-wise, but um, yeah, and then the next night, we'll uh, we'll have some great surf movies, uh, Motel Hell with Harry Bryant from Vans, and then um, Calypti. Calypti with Torin Martin and Ishka Folklore. I can't wait to see that on the big screen. It's going to be phenomenal. Mesmerizing. Yeah, yeah. A Absolutely. year and a half on a sailboat around Indonesia. Who doesn't want to try Sign that? Sign me up. I, I mean, it seems really difficult what they went through, some of the things, but also. Oh, they didn't know how to sail when they left. They, the rewards. They just like, we'll learn how to sail on the way. <sighs> they had a couple of <laughs> nice teachers to they help did. them along the way. But yeah, wonderful piece of work. It's Those beautiful. guys nailed it. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. I had a couple of people tell me they thought it was the best movie they saw all year. Yeah. Like, it actually was released tail end of last year but we're gonna put it on the big screen for you yep we'll have uh we'll have cold, a, cold new, beer. a new short from uh, michael dunphy oh yeah local cold. boy michael dunphy who doesn't like cold beer yeah. and michael dunphy yeah exactly cam so, richards short from him i'm loving it uh, this is gonna be a great weekend and uh yeah you'll uh, you'll see us on february 2nd and 3rd at atlantic center for the arts one of our sponsors absolutely speaking of sponsors monster energy our presenting sponsor couldn't do any of this without them as well as uh Yeti, Globe, Rourke, Sunbum, uh, Josh Wagner, the lawyer dude. Yeah, we have Volusia County who's stepped up with grant money in the state of Florida for our festival as well. Absolutely. Keep the, the stoke going in our community to bring filmmakers from all over the world here to share their stories at Atlantic Center for the Arts. To bring Turtle. We're bringing Turtle to New Smyrna Beach. I don't care what you say. John Philbin's an artist, my man. Yeah. 
He is. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, phenomenal. Thanks, uh, thanks everybody, wait. for listening. And, uh, yeah, this concludes episode 63 of Surf Stories Podcast. You. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.